If you like what you hear, consider subscribing and giving us a review over on Apple Podcasts. Especially early in the feed, subscriptions and reviews are super helpful for bringing new listeners our way. Thank you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Goblins and Growlers podcast. I'm Josh Maltby at Black Cloak DM on Twitter. I'm Brandon Dingus at Way of Brandalore on Twitter. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Um, we've got kind of a, a loose plan for just sort of a freewheeling conversation today. Uh, but first, we got uh, a quick little news item I just wanted to touch base on because uh, several. Uh, episodes ago, like episode three, we talked about Boy Problems, the Carly Rae Jepsen-themed heist RPG uh, that's, uh, I think it's a derivative of Lasers and Feelings. But anyway, so um, I bought it on Itch like last year uh, when I learned about it. And because of that, I get uh, messages from the creator. And I had got an email the other day that uh, the sequel was coming out. Well, sort of like an expansion. It was Boy Problems, colon, Side B. I love, given that it's a heist themed around not only Carly Rae Jepsen and her music, but also with lots of, like, puns on Carly Rae Jepsen song titles. I love yeah. the idea that Side B is... Like, these are the things you didn't steal last time. Oh, no, no. It it goes into even more depth than that. When I, like, I bought it for, like, $3.75. Uh, definitely go to boyproblems.itch.io and support this creator, because this is kind of balls-out hilarious and ridiculous. But uh, the first thing I thought after I read it was, like, the world's gotten bigger. Uh, it, it's got some new mechanics. Um, I think it has some new, like, character roles. It has three new heist scenarios, not all of which are Carly Rae Jepsen-centric. Um, there's, uh, let's see, let me, let me scroll through here. There are uh, B-side plots, first of all, uh, where it's like if, you're, if your party doesn't want to go through with the regular heisting stuff, they have suggestions for, like, maybe the party can go to a beach or a cultural festival or something like that. <laughs> Finally, the anime side plot episodes that your RPG needed. Mm -hmm. So like the three new settings that they have, one of them is basically you're trying to save this nightclub that has sort of a Studio 54 or hip hop vibe or something like that. But it very much has the um, uh, like break into electric boogaloo. We got to save the, the youth center kind of vibe to it uh, where you have to like stop some some evil corporate person from buying it and uh it uh there are gm prompts for it and everything it lists new gear that you can get it has a little three paragraph description of the heist and then it's got several npcs that you can go through oh my god hell yes yeah it's really cool the art the art on this is is pretty fantastic too the um they refer to the the boy problems the whole thing as a cyber pop heist tabletop rpg so like cyber pop is a thing now and i was not aware of that um there's another one uh where um taylor swift disappeared in the early 21st century and uh like she vanished from public life and this takes place in cornwall after uh like london seceded 
from the UK and formed the Greater London Republic. And it takes place in uh, Tintagel Castle, which is like really closely related to the Arthurian legend and everything. It's very crazy. I read through the whole thing, so I know like how it I know how it ends, and I don't want to spoil that for anybody, but it's really cool. And then there is another one uh, that takes place in sort of a, a post-apocalyptic southern United States that involves having to like rescue or like steal the collective uh, record of the internet from the before times. And one of the NPCs is Jeeves, and it's supposed to be an AI representation of the now defunct Ask Jeeves search engine. This is amazing. I yeah. love this. It's um, it, it's it's so cool. I still haven't had a chance to run a game of Boy Problems, but it's just so fun uh, to read. And the work that was put in to the PDF for this one, like as far as like the design and formatting and everything, is like a thousand times more detailed than the original. So definitely if you're looking for something cool, especially if your, your tastes uh, lean toward heist games and perhaps like uh Canadian uh, female pop artists, uh, this is definitely the thing for you. It's at uh boyproblems.itch.io. side B was like $3 and 75 cents, but you can obviously pay more if you want to help support the creator more. Back when I bought the base game for Boy Problems, it was like $7, I think. But it's totally worth it. This person is putting out pretty fantastic stuff. So check it out. High quality, worth investigating. Yeah, I'll put a link in the show notes on for that. But having gotten that business out of the way, um, I think we just wanted to have... Uh, sort of a, a soups cash conversation about magic and like and in our fantasy settings like high fantasy low fantasy no fantasy um you know i know both of us sort of have opinions on that and uh, i don't think we've really like done that before and we like just having sort of unplanned conversations sometimes because if you guys could hear the stuff we end up talking about before we actually hit record, it is usually more interesting than anything else we are talking about. We have on a couple of occasions been like, dang it, we should have just hit record before we even started this planning conversation because after editing out the bits where we're actually planning, we would have had a great episode. Mm -hmm. So yeah, That's so... Just, it's just how it goes sometimes. Yeah, so talking about like how much and i'm gonna i'm gonna use fantasy in kind of a fantastical kind of context but how how much like fantastical stuff do you want possible in your games like do if you had to play a game where there were no healing potions or no healing spells or you know take it a step further there was no real uh offensive magic or anything like that you know what would that look like how would that flavor the play and how would you as a gm enjoy that and how do you think your players would enjoy that so i feel like when we start talking about doing things where it's less fantasy and more realism you start getting into those campaigns and i've played with gms that are more or less you know in this vein where you have your travel time and there's like a random encounter table that you roll every day that you're traveling. 
you've got your uh, rations all planned out. You've got your water. You've got how much you can carry. You've got how much the wagon you have can carry. You've got paying the ferry every time you need to cross a river. Like, all of these, like, nitty-gritty details that really make a world... I don't know. It's like playing Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. I personally am not for it. <laughs> like, I... The thing is, when it comes to playing something in a fantastical world and kind of exploring, like, oh, these are, like, dreams I've had or ambitions or wouldn't it be cool if kind of deal, uh, those are the things I'm way more interested in exploring and doing in that space. Mm-hmm. And so, like, the, the gritty realism of it, it just, I don't know, it's not my scene so much. But... I mean... You know, you're almost talking about two different things there, because you can have gritty realism, but still have sort of a high magic, high fantasy kind of thing. Because, I mean, I mean, that's you just said it. That's essentially what Lord of the Rings is like it. They dealt with the travel time and all that stuff over the course of the movies and the books and everything. Um, You know, they dealt with wounds and, you know, people dying and things like that. But I don't think anybody would say that Lord of the Rings was a gritty, realistic setting. <laughs> like, the the Fellowship was not like the sharks, and they were going to Mordor to fight the jets with switchblades. We're gonna get those greasy jets. We're gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna shoot an arrow right into Smog's weak spot. <laughs> You're conflating your Tolkien stories. Well, you know. Um... So, I I think, for me, I think they relate a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like you can still you can still have magic and have it be gritty realism. To me, that is actually a little bit less high fantasy. It is a little bit more like rooted, because when I think high fantasy, I'm not just thinking like oh elves and dwarves and magic. I'm also thinking. Oh, like fairies and like a hero's journey and, you know, teleporting through space and time to reach your foe, like those sorts of things. So if you had to boil down your definition of high fantasy to maybe like one or two cogent sentences, what would it be rather than that bulleted list you just gave me? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's tricky. I think for me, high fantasy is defined as being so far beyond the scope of reality that you can't possibly confuse it with things that are real. Mm-hmm. Okay, so really what you're making a distinction between is like high fantasy and maybe historical fantasy. Yeah, that sounds right. Okay. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, because if we take all of the fantastic elements out it out of it, then it's just history, right? Well, yeah. and like, I wouldn't consider, even though it has magic and elves and fairies and things like that, I wouldn't consider like the Harry Potter universe to be high fantasy or um, what's the name? totally escaping me there's another series of books about a young boy who like 
captures elves and fairies and then sells them to this organization like he's like a super genius kid and it's completely oh, escaping I, me i know the one you're talking about i can't remember the name of it either but it's the one where disney did that movie for it and josh gad was in it and they released it on disney plus and it got horrible reviews that's the one yes yeah <laughs> yeah it's like right on the tip of my brain and i can't remember it but i'm not going to worry about looking it up artemis fowl <laughs> that's right it. that's oh. right such a relief to get those things I actually watched like maybe 15 minutes of that movie on Disney Plus and it was insufferable. Oh, no. But I, but I read I, some of the books and I enjoyed the books that I read. I think the problem was, from what I understood, is that the movie is 100% not reflective of the books. Like, they essentially had to change it to make the main character not an asshole because his whole journey involves going from being an asshole to being like a really good guy but they couldn't start the first movie with him being an asshole. <laughs> I think they a hundred percent could, but they were too afraid to do so. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm just talking from their perspective, <laughs> but yeah, it all, it, uh, the only reason I, I know about this is because it got so many bad reviews that I'm like, I have to read a little bit about this to find out why this movie is so terrible. Yeah, like I wouldn't I wouldn't consider Harry Potter high fantasy. I wouldn't consider Artemis Fowl high fantasy, even though they have fantasy creatures in them. That's magical realism. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a whole genre unto itself. Exactly. So, okay, so it sounds like it sounds like we're 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 splitting our categories up into sort of high fantasy, um, magical realism, and then maybe something in between. Okay. Well, I I just got grilled for a few minutes about what I think about high fantasy. What do you think high fantasy is? High fantasy, I think, almost always involves a small person. And I don't mean like a halfling or something like that. I mean somebody who, within the greater scheme of the world around them, is relatively insignificant and sort of rising sort of like the hero's journey like you were talking about to face some sort of supernatural foe and having supernatural adventures along the way um i guess for me my definition of high fantasy is like sort of i guess the common definition of like fae species like elves and uh, things like that but also the common use of magic which sort of runs against talking about lord of the rings as sort of a prototypical high fantasy adventure because one of the things that they did that tolkien did really well was keeping the mystique of magic behind the curtain because like the astari are 100 percent magical creatures because you know and and like the the veil is lifted if you read the silmarillion but uh as far as in the hobbit and the lord of the rings trilogy um gandalf i think uses magic like overtly maybe once or twice and even like there there's you shall not pass where he shatters the bridge and he and the balrog fall for you know age upon age and all that stuff and then there's the time where he raises his uh staff uh, i think it's during the battle of pelinor field where uh he shines the light to blind the enemy 
And those are the only two situations I can think of like immediately where he was using just straight up magic. And I think like Saruman too wasn't wasn't it's like if thinking about casting, like sure he used the Palantir um and uh he and Gandalf had their sort of like distance duel and everything, but there was no like all right, I'm going to cast fireball. Like nothing like that. And to me that is definitely a required trope for high fantasy. So I would almost say Lord of the Rings exists in sort of a realm of like literary fantasy, which may be a, um, that might be just like an artificial construction for what it is, just because it doesn't necessarily fit into my preconceived notion of what high fantasy is. But um, I think it involves the elements I talked about, plus some sort of regular magic. Now, whether or not that magic is accessible to the common person through things like, um, like pay for play clerics, resurrections, healing, things like that, healing potions, or being able to learn spells either because of your bloodline or because of years of study or something like that. I feel that is necessary for high fantasy. Now, magical realism, I guess, is sort of somewhere between literary fantasy and high fantasy um or or it's like an offshoot of one of them because like lord of the rings isn't magical realism unless you want to be like well you know technically um you know middle earth is actually earth before it became round um which is kind of a silly retcon but it's uh, lord of the rings almost exists in its own thing and we should set it aside as existing in its own thing because it was the prototype and everything else sort of like in modern fantasy, everything sort of like flowed from that. So you almost can't categorize it. It's, it's like comparing current English to oldie English. Yeah. Kind of like you can see influences, but there's no direct parallel. Yeah. Um, Cause even like the definition of a wizard is different. I think that's fair. I was, Based on the, and I maybe the prevalence of magic will change your answer, but when you started describing what you felt like high fantasy was, I was going to ask, do you think Star Wars A New Hope qualifies that? No, and I hate that argument. I hate, like, it's fantasy, but it's fantasy from, like, a tropey perspective. Like... It's, uh, you know, plenty of people say that Star Wars isn't science fiction, and there's, like, a really solid logical argument you can make for that. It's, it's you know, a space opera, which is kind of its own thing. Um, it's a space opera with fantastical elements, um, but it's set in a space milieu, kind of like how the Baz Luhrmann Romeo and Juliet movie updated the story from you know, medieval Verona to, you know, I think it was like Los Angeles or something in the nineties. I was in high school when that movie came out. So I don't remember. I was not 17, so I couldn't go to my theater to see it. Um, so yeah, I mean, star Wars it's fantasy, but definitely in the most like lowercase F kind of way, because they're, they like their magic is the force, which was, would go on later to be described as something very scientific for good or ill. 
Um, so yes, it's fantasy, but I do think it's outside the scope of what we're talking about. Because like you could even say that a back to tank is like a fancy version of a healing spell or a healing potion or something like that. And when I'm talking about like a low fantasy, no fantasy setting, uh, or at least low magic, no magic, you know, like we're talking about fantasy, but we're talking about like degrees, I guess. Like I always go back to this game that came out in like 1992. It was called Darklands and it's set in the Holy Roman Empire. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it's in like, I don't know, the 15th or 16th century or something like that. And the whole idea of the game is it's like, you have to be a human. There are no character classes or anything. People just get get um, experience for skills and things like that. Um, you can go to like Denmark, uh, Luxembourg, Switzerland, like all over the place. Like it's it's very very you know German. Uh, but the game doesn't really have anything in terms of like magic. You fight supernatural creatures and enemies and stuff like that. But you don't really cast spells. I, if I remember right, most of the healing is done from like tinctures and like potions but not like a magical potion kind of thing more like you know liniments and uh home remedies things like that and like lots of rest <laughs> to heal you um that kind of stuff appeals to me more from a storytelling perspective because when you put magic in the hands of the protagonist you are automatically if not elevating them to the level of the more powerful foe, giving them a stepladder that allows them to start climbing to the level of the more powerful foe. And I think it's a more rewarding story if, like, the more they have to struggle to achieve victory. And I think magic sometimes levels the playing field too much. That's fair. I was... When we talk about, like, low fantasy, low magic no fantasy no magic i i think for me because of the way i define fantasy um i picture definitely like no healing spells no resurrection spells if you get wounded you have to you know rest you have to rest mm -hmm. for some time before that wound goes away or you know if it's like a if you got like a gash in your shoulder then just like don't work that shoulder like that sort of thing mm -hmm. i i do enjoy that setting uh because you know lots of lots of books are set in kind of this like yes they have swords and yes there are things that are kind of on the edge of fantastic like creatures that are beyond our own scope and understanding mm -hmm. but there's no like nobody's throwing fireballs at each other um anything like that seems like magic briefly and then turns out like oh what they're doing is they're wadding up these old towels and filling them with a burnable liquid lighting them on fire and using a trebuchet to launch them at you like mm -hmm. their their court wizard is actually just a really good engineer <laughs> <laughs> and you know i i get why it's appealing to have systems in your game that allow for stuff like faster recovery, greater offense, stuff like that. Because like I've played um, some like OSR stuff, like, you know, um, I think I, I can't remember if it was like Osric specifically that I played, but it's one of the, like one of the first edition clones that I played in a game of. And it was, 
you know, it was like playing Diablo, basically, because you go into the dungeon, you fight in the dungeon for as long as you can uh, until you're probably going to die. Then you have to leave the dungeon, go back to town, resupply, um, rest, and then go back and clear out more. Uh, and that can get really tedious. Uh, so having greater, like having more power to heal, more power to attack, and also just like different ways of doing it. So not everybody is like wielding a sword or something like that, or shooting a bow. That's definitely appealing. But I guess the, the broader point that I was trying to get to is like it, I like, there's nothing wrong with that. I just kind of like things being a little bit more hard scrabble from a storytelling perspective. Cause like, I guess, I guess one thing I kind of think about, about like the abuse of magic and how it can be really stupid is like once, once you get up to like level 10 or something like that, you're like, Oh, well I'm casting this on you. Oh, but I'm going to cast counterspell. And then you're like, Oh, but I'm going to counterspell your counterspell. I'm like, well, guess what? I've got another spell slot and I'm going to counterspell the counterspell, the counterspell. It's like the, it's like the radar detector hole. Like, Oh, I've got my radar detector detector. So the police won't be able to detect my radar detector <laughs> unless they've got a radar detector, detector, detector. Yeah, I get, I, how to say this. I think for me, when it comes to running a more hard Scrabble campaign, what I like is having a lower magic campaign where magic mm -hmm. is still there. Uh, you can still do things like resurrect people and cure them of poisons and things like that. But your ability to use that magic is significantly reduced. And so you're more reliant on things like medicine and like binding of wounds and people not getting hurt in the first place. Um, you know, you can use magic to heal, like to set a bone, but that doesn't make it completely healed all at once because it's too much. Like the bone still has to have time to knit and things like that. You said something that real like that really caught my attention because it sort of crystallized. Um, some of my thinking you're like yeah i mean one of the strategies you can have is just try not to get hurt and like if you always have the safety net of some sort of like supernatural way of like making up for your bad decisions then you're going to continue to make bad decisions uh you know and it if you're i know some people get frustrated with like cautious players it's like well i take 10 steps i'm gonna search for traps I take 10 steps. I'm going to search for traps. Like that's how you stay alive. Like you don't have to, you don't have to push it to the nth degree like that. But if you are an actual real person underground in a dungeon or in a dark forest or something, you would probably be a little more cautious than your player is. And I'm not calling that good or bad role-playing. I'm just saying it adds another dimension to it that forces you to sort of stop, step outside yourself and think about what the consequences of those actions to your character are. Cause like, really like you're already outside yourself cause you're looking from an objective perspective at the character you're playing. So you should be thinking like, I've never been in a place like this before. I, you know, I don't have a lot of experience with this kind of thing. I should probably be careful. 
and not act like I've got a guy back here who can put hands on me and heal up any gashes or wounds that I've got. I mean, I would make the argument that uh, if you're worried about your player characters getting a little too confident and just walking directly into the mouth of danger because they know they can get healed, uh, it sounds like you need more trapdoor traps in your dungeon that just open to shoots that drop them in pits full of snakes and things like that. You know, that's a... Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I guess over the course of this conversation, I'm realizing that sort of my play philosophy is struggle. Um, like, I like writing and running low-level games, like levels one to four. Like, a lot of people are like, oh, it doesn't really get interesting until you get to level five because then you get all your feats and, you know, you got more spell slots and all this stuff. I'm like, well, yeah, but, like, I think it's more interesting if, like, Joe Farmer has to pick up a sword and go try, like, he's trying to learn how to be an adventurer while he's on the job. Um, you know, he's got, like, he's got some experience. He knows how to do some things, but not a whole lot. And he still has to, he still can't afford to not be cautious because, you know, at some point he's got, got to get back home to his wife, his kid, and, you know, their cattle farm or whatever. I mean, I can dig that. There's there's a lot to be said for having a game world that is more challenging than the typical. And I think there's a lot of people that would agree with you that, like, 5e, for instance, is so hard to kill your players, part, well, player characters, I should say, especially yeah. <laughs> once they get past level... I, 5 probably is about the point where it starts to get, like, you can throw lots of stuff at them, but even if they get tagged by something that is too big for them to fight, odds are good they can get away. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I I have made the argument before that, like, that's great because, you know, the circumstances under which 5e came about is it was a rebirth of the franchise after a couple of very divisive additions. And, you know, it was trying to bring new people into the game. Uh, and, you know, from a wizard's perspective, trying to bring new people into the product. So they wanted, I think, the cookie of being able to get out of those kind of hairy situations a little bit easier than maybe you could have in 1979, you know, if you were playing D&D. But on the flip side of that, it takes out a lot of the tension of the game if you're like, oh, uh, you know what, like, yeah, there's 16 goblins there, and yeah, I'm only level 3, but, like, the worst-case scenario is we just got to cast Resurrection on me back in town. Like, we got all this stuff for that. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, cautious play, like I was saying. Yeah. Isn't that, I mean, what, isn't that, what, isn't that what Muhammad Ali's name used to be? Cautious play? <laughs> <laughs> um, No, I think I think that's perfectly reasonable, and I think... I will agree that 5e definitely takes it far enough in that direction. I mean, I've had players that are literally like they're a wizard and they're like, yeah, I'm going to run into the middle of the group. And I was like, okay, this is a terrible idea. And they go, yeah. And then I'm going to cast fireball on myself. And I'm like, you're at, you're going to run in and self-immolate as your strategy? Like, that's your top strategy? Really? These wizards today with their D6 hit die, back in my day, you had a <laughs> D4, and you felt lucky if you had three hit points at first level. I mean, yes. 
But that was also those were also the days where the memes come from, where it's like fighter runs in, uh, takes two hits and goes, I need to fall back. Wizard on the back line. Someone sneezes and goes, I have to fall back. <laughs> yeah, I never I never played any kind of magic user back then, just because like the rules were explained to me and how you barely had any hit points. I was like, no, thank you. <laughs> I'll pass, thanks. You know, as as with all dumb arguments about uh, tabletop role-playing games, there's no right or wrong answer about how you want to play. I just, I, you know, I, I like to look at a lot of things from, like, the lens of, like, storytelling and things like that, and I just think the more you have to struggle or your characters have to struggle and not be able to fall back on, well, I got this knapsack full of, like, 1d6 plus 2 healing potions that I can chug. Um, You know, the more you have to think about those kind of things, husbanding your resources, you know, because the people at that, you know, there there was, this would not be like a world of excess. It would very much be a pre, like, it would not be a post-scarcity world. So, you wouldn't be able to just run into a shop and buy a bunch of potions or spell scrolls or anything like that. Well, I've got I've got actually kind of a fun idea since you started mentioning a couple of things that, you know, help create that element of tension where it's like there are limits to how much healing you can get and things like that. Um, let's let's give our audience a couple of ideas of how they could take a standard setting and mm-hmm. dial back the magic or the availability of things so that they can ramp up the tension in their game world a little bit and i will start you mentioned knapsack full of healing potions and one Mm -hmm. of my favorite game mechanic fixes for the classic like oh well the paladin will just heal me with lay on hands the cleric can just spend a spell slot or two i can just drink a couple of these potions have it limited how much healing they can receive magically Mm -hmm. and that's it like you you have to heal naturally some of the way. You can like you can only heal up to like 1d6 or something like that. And then after that, you best take a nap. Is that what you're saying? I mean, basically, like it's it's you can only heal. I think in the system I played, it was up to half of your hit points magically. Mm-hmm. Over a I believe it was a like two week period. So if you needed magical healing, then uh, you better save that for when things are really dire. I think another way to handle that, too, is to treat magic more like wild magic. Just like, like magic is plucking at the strings of reality to manipulate it. Like, it shouldn't always work. Like, and stuff should, bad stuff should happen more often. Like Paladin or the cleric, uh, you know, appeal to their appeal to their god for healing. Um, you know, maybe they did something like maybe they slighted somebody and didn't know it like earlier in the day, uh, and they do not have the favor of their deity at that moment. So it's just their prayers are just going to go unanswered until they atone. I've definitely seen that play out really well, and it makes for a really interesting story as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, they're not, like, cast out or anything like that. They just need to be humbled a little bit. 
Yeah, like it's a it's a situation where you're taking their resources from them but temporarily and to improve the story overall. Right. Yeah, but then oftentimes you'll have players complaining that like, "Well, you, that's the whole point of my character." Oh, we're telling a story. Be quiet. <laughs> Use I, this as an opportunity to reflect and develop. I think uh, if you're if you're a really solid GM, then doing stuff like that, your players should trust you to not leave them in the lurch permanently. Like mm-hmm. I've talked to people who, you know, they're like, oh, well, the whole point of my character is X. And it's like, you know, you build a character that's an acrobat. And then as part of like the developing story and some bad roles, maybe your character loses their leg and you're like, well, I can't do my acrobat stuff anymore. It's like, but it's a it's a world of magic, homie. You you can get that functionality of your character back if you really want it. But there's also like explore that space like that's for your character. That's kind of a tragedy. And then additionally, like there's all kinds of things you can learn as a person and your character can learn as a person about dealing with that situation and how much stronger you'll be coming out the other side of it regardless of whether or not you continue to be a really talented acrobat character. Yeah. It, you know, creativity thrives with, uh, restriction. A hundred percent. A hundred If you, if you really throw yourself into it. Well, yes, you can't. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't think anyone's expecting, uh, creativity to thrive during restriction if you get restricted and then you fold your arms and sit down and go, well, this isn't fun. Screw you guys. I'm going home. <laughs> Have we veered a little bit from topic? Uh, maybe. Well, anyway, this has been the Goblins and Growlers podcast. <laughs> uh, no, do you have any closing thoughts on that? I think I think my closing thoughts are that overall I like magic in my games, but I do sometimes feel like magic, especially lots and lots and lots of magic, can make it feel like there's not a lot of tension there. And so sometimes it's nice to dial that magic back a little bit, put in some anti-magic zones perhaps. Yeah, I'm very much about the struggle, person versus nature, um person versus person. Not person and magic versus nature, or person and magic versus person. <laughs> I just think it forces you to think think a little bit more, plan a little bit more, and sort of give yourself over to more role play. Hell yeah. Which I never think is a bad thing. Never. Yeah. Well, anyways, everybody, you know, you tell us, tweet us uh, at Way of Brandalore or at Black Cloak DM about how you feel about. High magic, low magic, no magic, magical realism, high fantasy, low fantasy, literary fantasy. Um, And we'll be back next time with another topic to be determined. Uh, I'm Brandon at Way of Brandalore on Twitter. And I'm Josh at BlackCloakDM on Twitter. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for listening to the Goblins Growlers podcast, and we'll catch you next time. Bye, y'all. Hey, Goblins. Brandon here. Uh, This is our last release before Christmas, so I just wanted to take a minute and thank everybody for listening and supporting us over the last few months as we've gotten this new podcast up and rolling. 
Josh and I really appreciate it. Uh, and we got a lot planned for 2022. So we hope you stay tuned in for that. And also, you know, shoot us suggestions for stuff you want us to talk about or people you want us to try and get for an interview. Just email us at contact at goblinsandgrowlers.com or you can send us a message on our Twitters. Uh, again, really excited to be doing this. Really glad you're listening. And we hope to keep providing some cool stuff for you going into next year. Thanks. Thanks.